Hi, I'm Snigdha Sharma and you're listening to Three Things, the Indian Express news show. In this episode of Three Things, we discuss the key takeaways from BJP's loss in Kerala. We also talk about the importance of studying new COVID-19 variants like the B1617. And we also bring you the latest pandemic-related updates. Beginning with Kerala. The victory of the LDF or the Left Democratic Front in the recently held assembly elections is a historic one. This was the first time since the 1980s that an incumbent coalition government has returned to power in the state. That too by exceeding its earlier tally of 91 in the 140 member assembly. So how was electoral history rewritten in Kerala? Why was the BJP unable to secure even a single seat? And what are the key takeaways from the results? To answer these questions for us we have Liz Matthew from the Indian Express. So Liz can you begin by highlighting the role of Chief Minister Pinarayi Vijayan and his leadership and uh, how it helped the incumbent LDF secure this uh, landslide of a victory. Large part of it can be attributed to Vijayan's leadership because had it not been Vijayan's leadership I don't think it would have been possible for LDF unlike the other uh, the practice and you know tradition in the cpim or in the ldf the last election in kerala was a personality oriented election as far as ldf is concerned vijayan's leadership and vijayan was the only leader whereas the congress had a set of leaders and uh, with nobody actually taking full responsibility and the nda obviously had uh, modi's uh, face and uh, surendran there at the start there and they also projected preetharan so the ldf was the only combination which projected one just one leader which in turn actually helped the ldf because increasingly people the electorate is looking for decisive and very strong leadership to govern a state and especially when the state is going through a crisis and vijayan's uh, stewardship during the crisis the may, the unprecedented crisis uh, like the 2018 flood then there was uh, nipa and the pandemic and uh, this uh, and how the state government has handled the situation how it has drawn appreciation and uh, applauses from all across the world this has really helped and also the way the government had taken care of the basic needs of the people whether it is in the health sector or whether it is in the like when it comes to food and the basic other needs like the free kits distributed by the government was a huge hit right across the state people were talking about it saying that this government has not let us starve or left us starving in the state during the crisis and also you know vision is seen as a manufaction in terms like he would not budge to some pressures within the party if he is convinced of a particular decision in terms of development the long pending two infrastructure projects one was a national highway project and another one is a gate pipeline both were cleared during vision's time and uh, people looked at him as a man who would deliver so that really helped i think overall vijayan's uh, leadership and how he handled the state during the crisis period of flood and of also covid time it really backed ldf to win such a landslide victory in the state and creating history right and uh, 
Liz, what were the key factors that contributed to the BJP's abysmal performance? It is primarily, I think, this was the state leadership, the state unit. There is an absence of a cohesive unit in Kerala for the BJP. And the BJP unit of Kerala is famous or infamous for its factionalism. They never got power. They never were even close to power. Party could be open an account with much difficulties only in the last 2016 election, which also is now gone. And despite that, the leaders, there was too many leaders and they were always fighting with each other and they were always pulling each other. That is actually a characteristic of Kerala BJP. That factionalism and uh, their failure or inability to work as a team, that was a major reason. Or uh, besides that, many leaders have pointed out an aggression from the BJP's leadership in terms of like one is that the party in the state uh, manifesto, Kerala manifesto, they have mentioned about a law against Lao Jihad. In a state where there is almost 50%, you know, 46% of minority are there. But the Muslims and Christians constitute more than 45% in the state's population. In a state, you come up with such a law would definitely go against you, one. Secondly, some of the candidates or uh, with, who had a chance to win, I was talking to the leaders, they were saying uh, personalities like Yogi Atitinath, who seen as hardliners and hardcore Hindutva faces, half-and-clad people, when they come and talk and make speeches in Kerala, obviously the minorities will definitely get scared and or intimidated. And in Kerala, it is uh, the demography is uh, distributed in such a way that any seat, any party can win without the support of either of the mi- minority community. So when uh, both communities are uh, antagonized uh, against you, obviously the party is in a very precarious position to win in a particular constituency. And uh, one of the candidates was saying, I was about to get, I kind of managed to get the support of the, some Muslims and some Christians in the constituency. Then Yogi Atitinath's arrival and his speeches topped out everything. So the aggressive phase of BJP is not at all conducive for a state like Kerala. You know, BJP would be appreciated as a party of good governance as a party of who has the prospect to deliver, not as a Hindutva party in the South. So Liz, if you can also talk a little bit about leadership in the Congress-led UDF. The Congress itself did not have one particular chief ministerial candidate or the UDF did not have a chief ministerial candidate. And the Congress, whether it was Manchandi, whether it is KPCC President Mullapalli Ramachandran or the leader of opposition, Demesh Chaniksala, People kept asking who would be their uh, chief minister, whether it is from Congress, whether it is from IUML, the Indian Union, Muslim League, the major constituent of uh, the UDM. So there was that ambiguity or lack of clarity really went against the, the UDF in the election. So Liz, since you cover the BJP, uh, if you can tell us, what does this loss mean for the party in Kerala and even uh, nationally? The BJP's voting percentage, which was 15% in 2016 Assembly election and which was 16% in 2019 in the Lok Sabha election, has gone down drastically to 113 in this election. That is a major setback for BJP. 
this time almost every party leader every non face of bjp was in the fray they were contesting election despite that the party could not win one seat and party could not even retain one seat the namum seat which had won in 2016 this is a very bad news for bjp in the state and it will raise questions against the leadership and the factionalism will intensify the central leadership will have handful of job there to manage the state union however it is nationally speaking it is a bad news for bjp in the south because it is trying to expand its base bjp is almost established in northern india and in the west and to an extent in the east so in the next step is to the the southern region but this kind of a fall in their voting percentage they were not expecting many seats or something they were expecting one or two seats and a rise in the increase in the percentage of votes did not happen so that will adversely affect their prospects of expanding it ground in uh, ground strength in the southern region and uh, nationally again bjp uh, definitely it has to get it got accepted in the northern i mean in the eastern uh, state i mean like it has become the the opposition in bengal so it is gaining strength there but as a national party beyond maharashtra it is not able to make its impact even in puducherry they claim that they but it is not actually bjp's victory it is the regional party's victory and bjp just took a claim in that that's all and uh, finally liz what are the biggest challenges for the ldf government now obviously the immediate challenge is the covid situation and kerala's uh, although the de- death rate was very low the state also had uh, the number in terms of number of cases the state was one of the top in the list and um, the number is increasing and the state always have people coming in and out secondly the financial situation the state went through through major crises during flood rebuilding the state uh, needed lot of resources and uh, fund and the state there is this huge financial crisis there, there is crunch fund crunch uh, the new government will have to overcome all these things and uh, in as a party wise pinarayi vijayan will have to build a second rung leadership in the cpim which is missing in the cpm now now that cpm is increasingly reducing a party of you know regional party in the same case lost its uh, all seat in west bengal also so people will be looking up to cpim and the ldf government to take stand when it comes to federal issues you know and now coming to the importance of studying variants of covid-19 the double mutant indian variant of the corona virus also known as b1617 is suspected to be behind the deadly second wave now on a request from the united kingdom samples of this variant are being sent to london to enable a wider research on it if you're a regular reader of the indian express or a listener of this podcast you will remember our recent interview with us's top infectious disease expert dr anthony forchi now one of the important things that he had highlighted in the interview was the need to study the variant intensively to find out if the vaccines that are being used are inducing a response that will protect the recipients against it so to help us learn more about this variant and also to help us understand better about why constant research on these variants is essential amitabh sinha from the indian express joined the show 
So, first of all, Amitabh, can you begin by explaining to us what a variant of this virus is? Right. So, as we all know, their viruses undergo mutations. Mutations are changes in their genetic structures, which lead to important changes in their characteristics, sometimes appearances as well. There are hundreds and thousands of mutations happening continuously. Not all of them are significant. Some of them, a few of these mutations that happen, they bring about very important, significant changes in the virus, which may affect their ability to transmit, which may affect their ability to cause more serious diseases, which may affect their ability to get detected by human immune response system. So when these kind of changes happen, when such significant changes happen, these mutations become very, very important. And then they get classified as uh, important variants or variants of interest. And then something, when they become uh, much more alarming, then they are called variants of concern. Basically, they are nothing but the same virus with small changes in their genetic structure, which keeps on happening continuously. But in some of these changes are crucial enough to alter the characteristics of the virus in important ways. So Amitabh, we know that there are scores of variants of this virus by now and they are only increasing in number. So why is it important to study them? If we don't constantly study the different variants that keep on emerging and appearing, we won't be able to anticipate what is likely to happen. That's very important. And that's what seems to have happened. There are lots of variants which have emerged in India. We talk about variants that were transported from other countries, that came in from other countries. We talk about the UK variant, for example, or the Brazilian variant or the South African variant. And there are several more. There is a California variant. So it's very, very important to keep on tracking what are these changes happening, how is the nature and behavior of the virus evolving with time, to be able to predict what is likely to happen, to be able to anticipate what are the things that need to be done to be able to contain the spread of the virus. Right. So what is the B1617 variant and also what has been its role in the second surge of the virus in India? This B1617 is, as I said, it's a very keenly watched variant right now. It was first discovered in the Vidarbha area of Maharashtra around the same time that we saw the coronavirus numbers surge in Maharashtra. Actually, it was discovered much earlier, but its significance was grasped only in February and March around the same time that Maharashtra began to surge. And it has been suggested that this particular variant, which we now know as the ability to transmit at a faster pace than other variants. And it has been suggested that this particular one might be behind the surge that we see. Now, the scientists still do not link the two events. They don't particularly blame this particular virus for the surge, mainly because it does explain the surge in some areas, but in other areas, even in Maharashtra, for example, in Mumbai, the surge is not explained by this variant. So that's why scientists are still collecting more evidence, more data to be able to say whether this particular variant is the cause for 
India's second wave of infections. But certainly in some pockets, in Vidarbha, for example, there is a quite clear evidence that the surge that we saw in Vidarbha in middle of February could be directly linked and attributed to this particular variant. Amitabh, you said that in Mumbai, the surge cannot be directly linked to B1617. Um, can you tell us why? Okay, so they haven't found enough samples of this particular variant in Mumbai when the surge was happening. So they do correlational exercises, also epidemiological studies and biological studies to see whether this variant is present, in what quantities is the variant present in a place where we are seeing a surge. So in Vidarbha, for example, it correlates quite well, but in some other parts of Maharashtra, correlation is not very strong. And that's why scientists say that maybe the evidence that this particular variant was also causing the surge in Mumbai was not very good, that they don't have very good evidence. So it's possible that in Mumbai, the surge was being driven by something else apart from this variant. So I'm sure this variant would be present in Mumbai as well, but it was, wasn't was the prime driver. That's what scientists say. So maybe there are other significant reasons for the surge in Mumbai and the reopening of the local trains might be one or the other reasons as well. So why do we need to send samples of these variants to other countries? So one of the things that genetic mutations do is they might change the ability of the virus to be detected by the immune system of human beings. So how does the vaccine work? The vaccine actually triggers the immune system of the human beings so that the immune system is able to block the entry of the virus into the body. Now, if the genetic mutation has happened in a manner which allows the virus to escape the immune system, then the vaccine would not work because the the variant would escape the immune system and still find a way to enter the human body. And that's why it's important to test the vaccines to see whether the existing vaccines is able to neutralize these new emerging variants as well. So these variants would keep on emerging and we need to keep on testing vaccines to see whether it is effective against this particular variant or not. So that is the reason why these samples are being sent to other countries, mainly because this variant has emerged in India and is predominantly prevalent in India, but now is uh, traveling across the world as well. And while it has been tested against two vaccines that are being used in India and both these vaccines have been found to be effective against this particular variant as well and we are talking about B1617. There are several other vaccines that are not being produced in India, not being used in India, but those vaccines also need to be tested for their effectiveness against this variant because this variant is now spreading across the globe. So that is why these samples are being sent to enable the vaccine companies to test their existing vaccines against this variant. Right. And uh, what are the norms for exchanging variants across uh, international borders? There are very strict international guidelines on the transfer of biomaterials between countries. There is international norms on biodiversity. There is a 
convention on biodiversity called CBD, uh, which has laid down guidelines uh, for the transfer, purchase, all kinds of the movement of biomaterials from one place to another. There are very strict protocols about that, mainly because there are biosafety issues. Also, there are issues about biodiversity getting stolen from one country, and there are uh, pricing issues and a whole lot of complications involved. Now, uh, Amitabh, there was also some talk about the sending of this variant for testing being a bit late. Um, can you tell us a little more about it? You know, this virus has already traveled to the United Kingdom. This particular variant has been discovered in the UK population as well. Somebody traveling from India to the UK might have carried the variant there and spread it in the UK population. So it is possible now to extract this variant from the population in UK itself. So the transfer itself is no longer very urgent. It would have been much more urgent and much more relevant a couple of weeks ago when this particular variant was not detected in the UK. But now that it has been detected in the UK, probably it's easier to extract it from someone who is infected with this particular variant in UK itself. But it still makes sense to send this because possibly there could still be a small changes between the variant, the same variant that has been detected in the UK and what we are sending from India. So it's still important to send that, but maybe that urgency is no longer there. And now for some new COVID-related updates. The Delhi High Court on Tuesday asked the central government to showcase why contempt proceedings against it should not be initiated for non-compliance of judicial orders by not supplying 700 metric tons of oxygen to Delhi. The court said that Delhi was not even receiving the 590 metric tons of allocated oxygen and that the national capital was facing a grim reality every day of people not being able to secure oxygen beds and ICU beds. The court also observed that the centre was quibbling about little things when people are dying in Delhi. Meanwhile, Delhi Chief Minister Arvind Kejriwal announced free ration for all ration card holders for a period of two months. In other news, the Union Health Ministry has said that aid received from other countries has been distributed to different states to help deal with the rising number of COVID-19 cases. Based on the criteria and principles laid out by the ministry, depending on each state's requirement, 24 different categories of items, numbering nearly 40 lakhs, were distributed to 38 institutions in different states. Major categories of equipment include BiPAP machines, oxygen concentrators, oxygen cylinders, PSA oxygen plants and pulse oximeters. It also includes drugs like favipiravir and remdesivir and personal protective equipment including coveralls, N95 masks and gowns. However, the ministry also said that since the grant in aid is limited in quantity, it has to be optimally utilised by allocating it to high-burden states where the requirement of such equipment is more. It also said that thinly spreading such aid each time over a large number of states may not bring forth the desired results. It added that it will also lead to small packages travelling large distances, high turnaround times and possible wastage of resources. An ICMR advisory for COVID-19 testing during the second wave of the pandemic has recommended that the need for RT-PCR test in healthy individuals undertaking interstate domestic travel may be completely removed to reduce the load on laboratories. 
The advisory also stated that RT-PCR test must not be repeated on any individual who has tested positive once either by RAT or RT-PCR and that testing is not required for COVID-19 recovered individuals at the time of hospital discharge in accordance with the discharge policy of the Ministry of Health. The advisory was issued in view of laboratories facing challenges to meet the expected testing targets due to extraordinary caseload and even staffs getting infected with COVID-19. In another development, drug company Pfizer has said that it is in talks with the Indian government to seek an expedited approval pathway for its COVID-19 vaccine. It added that while the application to register its vaccine was submitted months ago, it has not been done yet. Talking about Pfizer, a recent study by researchers from various universities in London found that people who had previously had mild or asymptomatic infection had significantly enhanced protection against the UK and South Africa variants of the virus after a single dose of the Pfizer mRNA vaccine. In those without a prior COVID-19 infection, the immune response was less strong after the first dose, potentially leaving them at risk from variants. You were listening to Three Things by the Indian Express. Today's show was written and produced by me, Snigdha Sharma, and was edited and mixed by Suresh Pawar. You can follow us and leave us feedback on Facebook or Twitter at Express Podcasts or send us an email at podcasts at indianexpress.com. And if you like this show, please do subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts from so more people can find us. You can also look for us in the audio section in the top right corner of our website, indianexpress.com. 